do 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 Paul, how many minutes do I have? Oh, okay. All right. Hello, everyone. For those of you guys who, uh, pretty sure most of you guys know who I am, I'm Brennan Galloway. Go to First Family Church. Love it here. Appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak to you guys about uh, what we got for today on the Ninth Commandments. And for those of you guys that may not know what the Ninth Commandment is, it is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor and... The next part I'm going to be talking about is what is required in the Ninth Commandment. It is the Ninth Commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. In the last section, what is forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment forbids whatsoever is prejudicial to the truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. So I will go ahead and be able to teach you guys about that commandment today. It's a very great uh, journey on it. Like I said, when I first uh, went to dive into it, I thought it was pretty uh, straightforward. But uh, going deeper into the study, I was like, well, this is uh, a little more to it than I thought. So it's going to be an adventure and hopefully it'll be able to bless you guys today. Okay. So I'm going to be going through each section of um, each part. I'm going to be doing section by section, not necessarily all in one sitting. So just so you guys know kind of how I'm going to be breaking down this catechism. So the first part, which is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, as quoting Exodus 20, verse 16. And that specifically says in verse 16 of Exodus, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In the following text, we're going to review for today the importance of not bearing false witness against our neighbor. Before we start to discuss such important matters, that the Lord has for us today. Let me say a couple things for us to meditate on. I've heard from a well-known and respected pastor, R.C. Sproul, who has talked about his past when he used to be a teacher in seminary. Upon teaching his lesson plan, he gave his students an assignment. The assignment was to imagine that you were in charge for a country, and for that country, all the laws have been erased. And you could choose any 10 that all the people must follow and obey. After the discussion was done, R.C. Sproul gave examples of some laws that are important that people would generally agree on, such as, would anybody have a law forbidding murder? Or, how about a law against stealing? Or, how about a law against protecting your property from people wanting or scheming to take it? As R.C. Sproul showed in his point that God himself has also chosen Ten Commandments, and has picked those Ten Commandments that are critical and very important to him. With the commandments that God chose, he did not choose them by any arbitrary decision, but was chosen to express the very character or even nature of God himself. With that in mind, this should show us all that when we dive into the learning about these Ten Commandments, that it is not mainly about what we must be doing, which we should be doing, of course, but more importantly, we're able to see a mirror showing us the very nature of who God is. This is even shown more clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For as the scriptures would say about Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, saying, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. As we see, 
Hebrews speaks of Jesus Christ to be the very one who to not only just emulate the very glory of God, but to also be the exact perfect representation of who God is. Since Jesus Christ kept the law of God in his human ministry, we see not just who God is in Christ, but also how we as his children should live with our body, soul, mind, and strength. This is definitely critical to meditate on while we go into our study today on the Ninth Commandment. The first thing we will discuss is what the law requires for us to do. <laughs> the first question is, what is required in the Ninth Commandment? Which is, the Ninth Commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man. The text that is being referenced here is Zechariah chapter eight, chapter 8, verse 16, which says, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. The first thing that is required for us to do in regard in regarding on keeping the ninth commandment is that we have a duty to maintain and promote the truth between man and man. The importance of this first aspect shows that there is a critical importance to us not just being able to walk in the truth, but to also speak the truth at all times. Being children of God, we are called to be representatives of who God is in the world, as the scriptures would say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, which says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, reference to Jesus Christ, so are we in the world. As we could see, the duty of the child of God is to be able to represent and live as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This leads us to understand that just as Jesus Christ spoke the truth to his fellow man, so are we. We too need to speak the truth to our neighbor as well. What does this mean for us then? As in the application of this uh, blessed commandment that's been given to us. It means that we're supposed to speak the truth to our neighbors at all times. Although, some may say in response to such a statement, such as, what about white lies? Or what about lies of necessity? Are these permitted or are they also forbidden as well? Before diving into these questions, we must first figure out what a lie is. According to the book called A Lie Never Justifiable by H. Clay, Henry Clay, Trumbull, he said the definition of a lie is, and I quote, a lie in its stricter sense is the affirming by word or by action of that which is not true with the purpose of deceiving or the denying by word or by action of that which is true with the purpose of deceiving, but the suppressing or concealing of essential facts from one who is entitled to know them with the purpose of deceiving may also practically amount to a lie, end quote. Since we now have a common starting point of what a lie is, we can now go into the first question on if a white lie is ever okay. But before we actually go into if a white lie is ever okay, we should first see what, how God feels about lying in particular. I'll be quoting a couple passages in reference. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, just keep in mind, not meant to, you guys can look them up later on. Of course, it's recorded, you know. 
So I'm going to be starting off with Proverbs 6, Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 17. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sorts discord among brethren. Next one, Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. And next one, Revelation 21, verse 8, in reference to the final judgment. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their parts in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And last one, Psalms chapter five. Oh no, second to last one. Psalms five, verse six, which says, you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And a common one that I'm sure a lot of us know, the good old story of Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While remain, was it not yours to own? And after it was sold, was it not yours to control? Why you could see this thing in your heart, you have not lied to men, but to God. And of course, in that situation, both the nice and Sapphira died momentarily afterwards. So, as we can see, a common good theme, consistent theme, that God does not take any joy or pleasure in lying. So obviously, no surprise that it is the ninth commandment of bearing not bearing false witness. Thus, we should be all truthful witnesses. So, for those who don't know what a lie, or what a white lie is, according to the Merriam-Webster, it is, and I quote, a lie about a small or unimportant matter that someone tells to avoid hurting another person, end quote. So, as we see, a white lie is using a lie to be able to avoid hurting another person for whatever the reason may be. And think about our topic for today. The first duty we're supposed to do is to maintain and promote truth towards our fellow man. Since a lie is the denial of what is true and a white lie uses that very aspect of denying truth, it would show that a white lie at the end of the day is still a lie. Some may say, but it's a lie that's used for a good reason. Or as the saying would go, the ends justify the means. My brothers and sisters, if God has declared something to be a sin, there's no way a person can use what is evil as if it is for good. God has never commanded his saints to be able to do a sin so that God could bring about his good purposes through it. Neither do we see this in the life of Jesus Christ. That he would use any sin, let alone a lie, for a good reason. Even if a person was to have good intentions in the end, yet he or she uses sin to bring about those good intentions, that person's deeds is no better than one who had bad intentions while using sinful means. With this being said, the same can be applied to lies of necessity. We can't use sinful ways for good reasons and expect God to bless our work. So with that being said, we'll now move on to our next topic of our catechism, which is, and of our neighbor's good name. So remember, we're supposed to promote truth between man and man 
and also in regards to our neighbor's good name. The scripture in reference for this part of the catechism is John chapter 5, verse 12, which says, And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? For the context of the situation that is now going to be discussed, it is on this situation where there is a paralyzed man that is at the pool of Bethesda. At this point of time, this man has been waiting for someone to take him into the pool so that he could be fully healed. A while later, Jesus Christ meets this individual and heals him and tells the man, take up his bed and walk. This was all done on the Sabbath day. Moments later, the man was approached by Jews who asked him, who gave you the authorization to pick up your bed and walk? To which the man told them he did not know who it was that told him that. Later, Jesus met the man again and told him that it was Jesus Christ who healed him. To which the man then told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. With the context now being established, the ninth commandment also requires us to be able to maintain and speak the truth of our neighbor's good name. What this means is that we are called to protect and give due credit to our neighbor's good name along with our own. Our name that we have is directly identified to who we are. When we have a bad testimony, whether true or not, our name is also tarnished along with our person since they're one in the same. With the text in mind in John chapter 5 verse 12, Jesus Christ did a miracle work. And when the man who was healed was asked, who gave him the authorization that that man had a duty to be able to protect and give due credit to the name of Jesus Christ for the work that Jesus had done? Now, as we have noticed, the man at first did not know who healed him. Even then, the man did not give credit to himself. Neither did he, neither did he give credit to someone he knows that did not do the miracle. This shows us that when we have a good deed that has been done, that we should strive to be as close to the truth as we can. And once we get more information on that matter, we should inform the person of the information that they should know about. We should use our tongues to be able to promote what is good of our neighbor's name and to be eager to speak words that are seasoned with salt so that our words are attractive to the hearers, as said in Colossians 4, 6. Now to the next part of the catechism. This is especially in witness bearing. The texts and references are Proverbs 14, 5, verses 5 and verse 25. Verse 5 says, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. And verse 25 a true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. The next part that we are paying attention to is the fact that we are called to be faithful witnesses. This is vital to any society to have faithful witnesses since it would promote justice in all judicial matters. This would mean that when people are brought to a trial and a witness is brought to the stand, as is often the case, that the testimony of the faithful woman of the faithful witness will, as the Proverbs say, will deliver the innocent soul from judgment while also condemning the guilty soul. Unfortunately, since we do live in a fallen world, the criminal justice system is corrupt 
having many false witnesses that speak lies and thus bringing judgment upon the innocent and declaring innocent innocence to those who are guilty, which God has said is an abomination in his sight. Therefore, God requires in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, that for someone to be convicted of any crime, that the matter must be established by two or three witnesses. Now, this does not, now does this not mean that only when we are under oath in a criminal trial, there are supposed to be faithful witnesses? No, indeed it doesn't. It's not only when you're under oath that you have to be truthful and, you know, to cut the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But it's also during our day-to-day activities. For example, if our supervisor asks us if our coworker at work has committed time fraud and they are authorized to know, we must tell our supervisor the truth and the whole truth. In this case, they did. If we deviate from the truth in this case, we, by telling the supervisor that our coworker has not committed time fraud, when they have, we have then sullied our name, whether we have been found out to be a liar or not. The fact that we have decided to tell a lie and it comes out will actually trust to show people that we cannot be someone to trust on important matters in the future. So, of course, lying is never worth it. So now we're going to switch gears now to what is forbidden in the Ninth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment forbids whatsoever is prejudicial to the truth or injurious to our own or even our neighbor's good name. The text in reference is 1 Samuel 17, 28, Leviticus 19, 16, and Psalms chapter 15, verses 2 through 3. 1 Samuel's text says in verse 28, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see battle. In reference to the time of David and Goliath. This is moments before that well-known scene. The next text in reference is Leviticus 19 verse 16, which says, You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. And the last one, Psalms 15, verses 2 through 3, which says, He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Now that we've talked in detail what the Ninth Commandment requires us to do, we'll switch gears and talk about what the Ninth Commandment forbids us to be doing. We're not allowed to say anything that is not in accordance with what the truth is. This may sound simple, so much so that we may think we all, all we have to do is just say what the truth is. But I assure you, my friends, it is not that simple. Some of the things that this sin forbids us to do, according to the Westminster larger catechism, would be, and I quote, lying, slandering, backbiting, detracting, tailbearing, whispering or gossip, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censoring, 
misconstructing intentions, words and actions, flattering, vainglorious boasting, thinking or speaking too highly or too meanly of ourselves or even others. As I have said, there are plenty I am sure that has a lot of us realize that we do all too often, unfortunately, in this list that I just spoke on. I won't have time to break down every single aspect that we ought not to use our tongue to speak. So I'll comment on a few of them. First one I'm going to talk about is flattery. Very common in our day. Maybe not a lot of people call it what it is, flattery, but we see it all too often. So flattery is when a person speaks of a positive compliment towards another person for the purpose of getting what they want. If we are to be frank, when flattery is involved, it is often used for the purpose of manipulation. An example we can use is when a child goes to their mother and says, Mom, you know I love you so much and I appreciate all the hard work you have done for me and it is a blessing to have you. Man, I, I'm just entirely grateful to just have you in my life. There would be no other mother I would have besides you. Can I go to my friend's house today? Right? I heard some of us, you know, smirking, obviously, as I give this example. I don't know if that's because of self-condemnation or because we know the experiences with our own children. Yeah. Of course, that's for myself. A Phoenix is not that stage. But like I said, I'm watching him like a hawk when he is able to speak to me when he does say that. But, you know. Guilty as charged on my aspect of flattery, right? As we can see, when the child gives a compliment for the purpose of getting what they want, they're not being sincere, and they're seeking to have their mother, in this case, give them something that they most likely would not be able to get if they normally asked to go over to their friend's house. Oof. Gossip is a common word, as the next one we're going to talk about is gossip. Gossip is another common word that everybody talks about. Everybody hates. But I think the other important thing that we also have to recognize is, are we guilty of it oftentimes, even while without even realizing that we're even doing it, right? So, gossip is a common word that is thrown around all the time. Now, I us have talked about our neighbor without their knowledge. I'm sure a lot of us, more times than we could count, though. So, keep that in mind. So... If we have talked about our neighbor for the sole purpose of talking of them to someone else, we are guilty of gossip. This is largely due to the fact because we are spreading around to others unconfirmed truths. Often a good way to avoid this trap is that we should bring that person we're speaking of to be involved in our conversation. Because keep in mind, even if we have said what the individual has said, but have misconstructed their intentions or meanings behind their words, we are guilty of gossip. I know from my experience being married to Savannah for two years, oh my goodness, that that aspect that I could hear what she says, she tells me, she says, you don't hear me. I said, did you not say A, B, and C? She says, yes, I did say A, B, and C, but that's not what I mean. So if I was to go to somebody else, and actually give the understanding that I think she meant was saying what she literally did say by misconstrued her intentions. I'm actually gossiping about my own wife. So oftentimes, as she has taught me in the second grade of Savannah Academy, 
that when somebody gives you a statement, it is always wise to be able to ask them, what do you mean by that? That has gotten me actually out of so many troubles that I could have been in because I've actually learned the wisdom of my wife that God has blessed her with. All glory to him indeed. All right. One more topic I'll address is when we speak too highly or too lowly of ourselves or others. In today's time, along with all those who came before us, we have dealt with lo- we have dealt with low self-esteem. We would often talk ourselves down. This is not healthy. Neither is it lawful to keep speaking condemnation of ourselves along with when we talk like this towards our neighbors. But the opposite is true. When we exaggerate how good we are, along with speaking too highly of our neighbor, this is also a sin that we are doing. Now, to be fair, by no means am I saying that we cannot speak negative things about ourselves. Neither can we speak good things about ourselves. That is not the issue. Rather, the issue is over-exaggerating the positive or negative regarding a person. If, for example, we have been unloving to our spouse, it is a right thing and a good thing to say about ourselves that I am being a bad spouse that does not give my spouse the love I should give them. It is when, in this example, that we start to say that we do things to our spouse that is not true, such as I beat on my spouse, I never let her speak, and all these other negative aspects, right? This is when we have now gone from being humble to now being prideful. Yes, indeed. Even when we speak falsely of how bad we are, we are being prideful in that sense. As we are actually extending ourselves beyond what we actually are. So, in that aspect, I'll now talk about the topic which I think is very important for this discussion is the topic of concealment. When talking about being given the duty to be able to speak truth at all times, it does not mean that we have to go in and say every truth of every aspect to everybody that we come across. There are certain people that actually, as the world would say, ain't none of your business. And that is actually our duty. That is actually what we're supposed to do. In what God commands us to do, we are supposed to speak truth at all times, but also speak certain facts to only those who should know or need to know. And some examples of concealment would be, for example, if you're applying to get a loan on your house and you're going to a bank you're, and you go to the bank and the bank asks you about all your finances, your bank has a right to ask you of your finances and you have a duty to actually tell your bank truthfully of how your financial situation is. But if your coworker at work asks you, hey, yo, Brendan, how much weight did you make last year? For your coworker, I mean, you could be blunt if you want and just say none of your business or you could be more graceful and just say, you know, I made a decent amount of money. You're concealing the aspect that they don't need to know. But you're not actually committing a lie because you do, according to yourself, make a decent amount of money. But this also goes to the other aspect when we talk about concealment. That in that example with your coworker asking how much you made last year, and you said a decent amount. Say they say, oh, well, dang, I guess if that's the case, you must have made about $60,000. They assume that. Well, they assume that that's on them. 
That's not your responsibility. What they take with your information is on them. You shouldn't be necessarily concerned with how they deal with it. As long as you speak truthfully on the matter without using a lie as, a, as the means to conceal what they have no business of knowing. In knowing about concealment, in and of itself, it is not an issue. But it also can lead to actually being a lie, as well as I already said earlier. So just because you can conceal something doesn't mean you should. Of course, everything is done by case-by-case case, you know, situations. So, of course, use that as you guys see fit. But I just don't want anybody walking and say, Brennan said, I got to tell the truth to everybody all the time, right? So, you know, somebody's asking, you know, how is you and your, if you're married, of course, how is you and your spouse in the bedroom? You're like, well, Brennan said I got to tell the truth, so let me tell you something. <laughs> oh, no, no, that by no means is what I'm saying. That is something that you definitely should conceal, obviously. Otherwise, you're going to get in trouble with the Lord and the next with your spouse once they find that out. So just want to say that for the record. Now, the next one, I'm bringing this topic up of giving the topic that we're supposed to be telling the truth at all times. And the fact that you shouldn't be using any times of white lies. We already talked about it. And lies of necessities. There will be people, I'm sure, maybe in this room or people that we even run into. They will actually use biblical examples to actually say lying is actually justifiable. One example is the story of Rahab. Where she was taking the spies at the walls of Jericho. Took them under protection. And the people of Jericho came and knocked on her door and said, hey. Do you have any spies in your house? And she lied by not telling him actually where they were. They say, see, Rahab was declared to be righteous by God in both in Hebrews 11 and James 2. But upon looking at what Hebrews 11 and James 2 actually says, it says that Rahab was actually declared righteous because she received the spies in peace and let them go out in peace. It does not speak that God said that Rahab was declared righteous because of her lie. That's what people assume was the case. She did a right thing by protecting the lives of the spies that came into her home. But the means that she used was not explicitly approved by God. Thus, like I said, that is not a good example to be able to use Rahab as our example of why we should be able to lie in certain circumstances. Another one, the story of Exodus chapter one about the Hebrew midwives, right? Is it the Hebrew midwives? Yeah, the Hebrew midwives, right? Where they're given the duty to be able to kill every male child that comes into their presence that obviously is, you know, being given birth to. But let all the girls be able to live. The Hebrew midwives did not do this. And they actually allowed the male children to actually be able to be kept alive. They got brought to Pharaoh's presence. And Pharaoh asked them, why have you been doing this? And what did the Hebrew midwife said? Well, I mean, <laughs> Those women, man, I tell you, they're really quick with that birthing process. So by the time we get there, it's already done. It's already done deal. They're already gone. It's already, it's already a wrap. It's obviously a lie. The Hebrew midwives have delivered plenty of children that they could have killed because they had the opportunity. And then later on the text, it says God declared the Hebrew midwives to have houses because he was pleased with them for they were righteous because they feared him. Again, it wasn't explicitly said that God was pleased with them because of the lie they used, but because they feared God in protecting the lives of the children that were born rather than actually following the rules of Caesar, of course, Pharaoh, specifically in this context, 
of actually killing the children. And the last one that I'll use is the story of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where he was given the duty right before he's about to anoint David as king. God tells him to go ahead and find someone, the, king, the next king, to be able to anoint them. But Samuel tells God, but what about Saul, though? If he finds out, it's going to be all bad. I'm going to be killed. God tells him, just tell him you're going to go ahead and offer sacrifices. Just tell him that. And then just go on your way. And so that's what Samuel did. He goes on. He goes to the place where David and his family are at, meets up with them. They ask him, what brings you here? He says, well, I'm here to be able to do sacrifices. Why don't you guys join me in, in, um, join me in my aspect of sacrifices and in that process, he eventually finds David, who he then anoints as king. In that case, people say that God told Samuel to lie because obviously Samuel wasn't only going to just do sacrifice, but also to anoint David as king, which Saul would have been furious to know. But as I said earlier, it wasn't Saul's business to know none of that. But in that process, Samuel didn't lie because what did he actually do? He went to actually do sacrifices. He actually did do that, but it wasn't asked of anything more. But as Samuel did there, he actually stayed consistent with what God told him to do, which is consistent with what the truth actually is. So with those things in mind, in summary, we as God's people, we ought to always speak the truth to our neighbors. As tempting as it may be for us to want to lie, whatever our motive is, we must resist the urge and trust in God's sovereignty that he will take care of us. And in doing so, we will glorify him when we obey his commandments in faith, not by sight. Let us strive to protect ours and our neighbor's good name by speaking what is good and defending from unconfirmed truths. If there are any negative reports that is being discussed regarding a name, let us strive to not just take it as truth, but do our due diligence to make sure that the accusation is true or false. Let us strive for accuracy, whether it is regarding what is positive or negative. And let us not fall for the lie that lying will make our situation better. For just like with any other sin, it may appear to be good, yet it has one goal, which is to bring death. And that is it. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Questions? Questions? Comments? Concerns? <laughs> I like what you mentioned about um, flattery. Yeah. Because that, and, and pride too, because both of those are, you're, you're, you are lying right. by doing that. And like our culture is so good about being prideful and flattering mm -hmm. people to try to get over. Right. It's good that you brought that up. That that is, that's not just being nice. That's being a, being a liar. Right. Yeah. When I was uh, going to the study and actually talking about, you know, seeing that flattery was actually listed, and I really thought about how is that related. And then, of course, I you know thought it through, and I was like, wow. Yeah, it's actually a deception. But it's just I don't know. At least in my life, I did it so many times as a kid. And my parents never corrected me on that. Say, hey, that's flattery. That's actually not okay. 
you shouldn't be doing that. I thought it was okay. Like, hey, give a couple comments. If it helps further your cause, then hey, it works out. But um, in seeing this, God calls us, as it says, to actually be able to walk in truth and actually be consistent to how we actually feel. So if you're mother in the case, you know, if you'd rather have another mom, but if for your case of getting what you want, you tell her that she's the only one you want. Like I said, it's just making a definite, uh, you know, definite rift in your relationship, whether it's discovered or not, obviously. So I thought that was, uh, that was all really helpful. Yeah. Um, I was wondering... I thought especially the part about white lies right. was really was really good. And then you went, you transitioned into that the lies of necessity. Yeah. And so I guess my question is: is lies of necessity and concealment? Do you see those as similar, related? Are they are they totally separate? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that as well, the examples of Rahab and the Hebrew midwives right. and Samuel. Yeah. Would you classify those under concealment? Yeah. You would. Oh, no, no. Um, yeah, as in like I hear what you're saying. Right. So um, Pastor Paul's question for those of us, we all heard in here, but on the phone may not have heard it. Um, his two questions are lies of necessity. Is that actually under the umbrella of concealment or is that under the umbrella of lying? And the second part with Rahab. Um, the Hebrew midwives and Samuel, would I categorize those situations as either concealment or lies? So to the first question, um, in the name of lies of necessity, it's where you're using lying, denying the truth for a good reason, for a good cause, or a certain situation that permits or allows you to be able to lie. So it's actually explicitly using a lie for a good reason. Oftentimes it's the case, you know, common one everybody uses on this topic is if someone comes into your house, like you live in the days of the Holocaust and a Jew comes into your house, they say, are there any Jews in your house? Right. Would you tell them? Would you tell them that there's Jews in your house? They would say, of course not. I would say there's no Jews in my house. Why would I ever do such a thing as that? They would say, that's fine. That's actually a good thing because you're protecting the, you know, the lives of your fellow Jews. Well, not your fellow Jews, but the lives of the Jews in your house. Um, and whatnot. So therefore, because you're trying to save a life in that instance, lying is okay. But in generally any other situation, lying is not okay. So yeah, lies of necessity are not the same as concealment. Concealment is staying true to what the actual facts are, but only giving them what they need to know. And also in concealment, you have the right, well, generally speaking, if they do not need to know, you have the right to just say, I'm not going to speak on it. You have the right to remain silent, not only when you're arrested, but even in general conversations, right? So, yeah, that's the, that's the difference between lies and necessity and concealment. So, within the Rahab, yeah. the midwives, right. would those be lies of necessity? Is that what you're wanting to say? Or would those be concealment? Because that was the second part of that. Yeah, and I was about to get to that. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. So the second part, um, so Rahab's situation, she, I would categorize that under a lie. They asked her, are there any people in your house? And she said, oh, she, she gave a partial truth, if anything. She gave a partial truth, but as we know, if you give a partial lie, it's still a lie. And the only truth is the whole truth, right? Jesus didn't say on the way, the partial truth and the life, right? He says he's the whole truth, right? The Hebrew midwives, that's a flat-out lie. 
because they clearly could have. He asked, why have you guys not been doing what I've given you? They said, oh, they've just been just giving, delivering too fast. I mean, we couldn't keep up. That's a bold-faced lie in that case. And the last one was Samuel. That's actually a concealment situation. Saul asked him, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to offer sacrifices. That is true. He did go to offer sacrifices. But if Samuel actually wasn't offering sacrifice and he said that, using concealment, he actually would be lying in that case. But he didn't get the whole picture because it wasn't Saul's business to give the whole picture, at least in that case. Of course, let us not go beyond what, what is written in the scriptures, right? So, John and then Steve. Yeah, I was just uh, he kind of grabbed it before I did, but uh, the part he was talking about, I thought that was good. Um, but on the uh, the rehab part, we've always had this discussion. Yeah. Paul and I have gone back and forth over I think I think earlier when you said that uh, she was justified in her action, right? Mm-hmm. But then when we look at it, like, is God really justifying us through faith mm-hmm. in sin at the same time? So I think it would fall under the whole menu, you know, <laughs> not not owe that information to. Yeah. Just because in the context of speaking the truth. Yes. Yeah. Speaking right. The truth is with the neighbor, right? Yeah. And so I think spies kind of categorizes it as even though she was a civilian, she participated in a military act, right? Yeah. If you want to call it a coup attempt or the government or whatever you want to call it, but. Um, at that point, if it is a lie, then we have to go out and say, well, military shouldn't use stealth, they shouldn't use camo, they shouldn't use subterfuge, you know? Yeah. And so that's always been kind of a, a yeah. back and forth. Um, the part that um, you were talking about too earlier, what Steve brought up, what's his name? Larry. Larry, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it really goes back to just our position as, as, as sinners, but just as men, I think mm. there's, there's a, a lack of backbone as a person when you, the manipulation aspect is when you want to get something out of somebody, but yeah. when you're flattering someone, you're really showing that you really don't have any root in your faith where you can, you want people to like you, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to tell you this, you know. Sometimes it's really not to get anything out of it other than that person to like you. Where you can never say anything negative. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the real weaknesses in our society as men is we're emasculated as men because we have to go around getting a big old pat on the back and having people build us up all the time and falsehood. Right? Yeah. I like what R.C. Sproul said about that one time. He said, well, when truth is slain in the streets, then we don't have any unity, right? Yeah, we need to love each other, and that doesn't always involve, you know, saying positive things, you know, yeah. like flattering, you know. So it's one of those things. Um, being in a home with a very strongly opinionated wife, <laughs> you know, flattery never really got me far. <laughs> so yeah, and I, I think it can just be a, a flaw in our depravity, a character flaw. Mm-hmm. We need to ask the Lord to work on. I think everyone yeah. that I know is. At some point or another, yeah, flattered someone. So something we definitely need to repent. Glad Steve that. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, just uh, touching up on the Rahab situation, of course. Um, yeah, uh, with that aspect, of course, like I said, she was doing a 
good thing, but you know, in the aspect of what she was saying wasn't the whole truth. The duty at the end of the day is that, yes, we are supposed to speak the whole truth to our neighbors, which is why I was saying that that wasn't necessarily the correct course of actions. What she was, what it was her duty was to conceal, but not using lying, denying the truth as a means of that concealment. Often another situation, which actually is very similar in situation that's actually related to Rahab, that I actually, you know, kind of thought of when I was thinking about the Rahab situation is um, story of Lot. A lot of us know that story too, where he too received guests in his home, angels that appeared as men, and he had a duty to protect them, right? And he was declared as a righteous man. He wasn't a wicked man by the New Testament. And when people wanted to be able to find those men, he then said, how about you take my daughters instead? Now, everyone would agree in this room that him protecting his guests in his house was a noble and good cause. That's what he's supposed to do. But no one would argue that the means he used to bring about that good cause was good. Using your daughters to actually be given up to sleep with these men who are not their own husbands, right? Nope. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, no one would ever use Lot and say, oh, well, hey, if you got to protect your guests, you got some daughters in your house. Hey, it's lawful. Hey, according to Lot, it's lawful to allow your daughters to be given over to be raped. And so that's what I was saying. It's the same, you know, circumstance. Lot was a righteous man. Like I said, he was saved from that judgment, as the New Testament does say, because he was a righteous man in God's eyes, obviously by faith, not by works. But that's what I was saying. The same similar situation with Rahab. Of course, in the moment, she had a good intentions, but used, but used the wrong means of lying as an aspect to be able to bring about a good purpose. But I think that's a picture of the gospel anyways, that we do have good intentions, but we often fall short in using sinful means, whether we know it or not. But because we're saved by grace, God actually still saves us and atones for those sins that we have made, you know, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, also, too, on the war aspect. Um, wow, I was about to say it. Oh, so on that book that I was reading, A Lie Never Justifiable, um, he actually does talk about warfare in a little bit. I don't know necessarily all the aspects and ins and outs of it, but he did talk about if you were taken prisoner of war in warfare and the person asked you, what is your name? What is your rank? What, you know, what people do you work for? You know, and you say, oh, I'm a first sergeant working for the army of the U.S. government. You know, he says that's what you should do. That's fine for you to be able to say that. But then ask you, how many troops do you have, you know, in our, uh, how many troops do you have, you know, in battle right now? At that point, you could actually plead the fifth and actually that person has no right to know how many, you know, army men you have to be able to fight them in war. So even in that aspect, there are certain aspects where concealment is your duty, even in times of war. But even in times of war, um, lying is obviously never part of that aspect, too. And this is different, too. I mean, my cousins were right. And they were captured on, I would say, not hiding on hair who they were. Yeah. Or, yeah, of course. Yeah. But you had done Yeah. I thought your sermon was well done. Yeah. And uh, the Lord clearly, you know, worked through you. Uh, yeah. Well, glory to him indeed. Thank you. Steve, you have some? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I don't know if it's a 
if this would fall under concealment or what. I mean, and I don't want to put a motive behind it, right? Yeah, of course. Just trying to figure it out. Like you gave an example of an employer yeah. asking, hey, we'll just say John was my coworker. Hey, have John been committing time fraud? Yeah. I mean, now if I said, hey, man, I don't want to be involved in this, mm. you know, would that, would that, would I still be in, in a predicament of a lie at that point? Like, it's like, hey, I, I, I don't want to be involved in this. That's you know? the truth. Well, that is what we yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, but, but, right. But do I have right to not You know, I don't Yeah, no, of course. Sometimes, right? Obviously, yeah. But it's like, you know, you know, we say, my name is Bennett and I ain't it. You know? Yeah. So, um, give me a second to be able to forgery proof complaints reasonably slandering, tensions, flattering. No. Oh, okay. So I'm going to read real quick the larger catechism of what's forbidden in the Ninth Commandment, right? So it says, The sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment are all prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors as well as our own, especially in public judicator, giving false evidence, supporting false witnesses, willing, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and overbearing the truth, Passing unjust sentences, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, and then here's the part, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause, and holding our peace when iniquity calls for it, for either a reproof from ourselves or a complaint to others. So, as you see in the larger catechism, they would actually... Um, you know, arguing the fact that if it is your duty, I understand it's you don't want to, you know, be put in that situation. But if your supervisor has a right to know and you're under a lawful um, command, you have a duty to actually be a faithful witness to actually stand up for the truth. And what is the truth? If you commit time fraud, you will be punished. And God is going to be using you in that case as the means to actually bring about judgment or, you know, whatever the case is, judgment upon the person who's been committing time fraud. However, that be fired loss of wages, suspended, you know, so that's how I would, you know, answer that question. If you didn't want to be put in that predicament, but your supervisor asked you, I think it's just a good testimony to be able to be a faithful witness when asked about a yeah. matter like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times people clock out for lunch, but they don't go to lunch necessarily, right? Mm. And they wait till they're done. Because they got to have a 30 minute period right. of time, right? Now, this is something that they all do. Yeah. Right? So they ask about Josh, and I didn't say, oh, everybody does it, right? Because that's going to give a b bigger picture anyways, right? Mm, yeah. Well, John might have didn't know he was committing time fraud because this is the way that the practice has been dealt. Yeah. But now I throw everybody under the bus. <laughs> you know? Right. So, I mean, in, in a case like that. I mean, that, that's what I'm yeah. thinking. Like, even in a case like no, of that, course. I, mean, I guess, you know, it's to paint a bigger, bigger picture. Like, maybe he didn't know. Yeah. But at the same time... Um, yeah, no, that's definitely a good one. I mean, that's kind of similar even in my workplace, kind of that old clocking. Well, not that specific instance, but there's other instances that a lot of people kind of didn't know that you shouldn't be doing. Well, I'm not going to get on that tangent. You know, we'll stick with yours. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, in the case that, you know, everybody does it, hey, that's a truthful statement, you know, and that should actually give your supervisor, you know, kind of some thought on how they should respond. Like, okay, because they have a duty too to actually be, a faithful, you know, supervisor that they should not show partiality. So if you're going to give a punishment to, 
you know, John for committing time for that. You got to be consistent. Otherwise, you yourself are going to be a bad supervisor. And, you know, God's not pleased with that. Um, but if they didn't know, I think that um, it would be the duty of the supervisor to actually take that into consideration. Because that is a truth of the matter. Well, again, we'll just assume you did ask. Well, I don't know. We'll just say that's true. We'll just assume it's true that the person didn't know that they're committing time fraud. The supervisor should take them away and should, I think, be reasonable. It's not like they did it with evil intentions. But still, I mean, hey, everybody's given a handbook. When you're first hired, I'm assuming so. And it's your responsibility to read the handbook and know your rights and know what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. So. It almost sounds like the large catechism would exonerate Rahab and midwives. Okay. How so? I want you to read it again just to make sure. Yeah. But didn't it mention something about like not doing things for evil? Like, and both of those things, yeah. like Rahab being righteous was doing what God would have her do, and that the people in Jericho were actually in the wrong. So protecting right. those people doesn't make that a lie. Like because you're not deceiving, you're not deceiving people who rightly deserve that information. Right. Um, I'll first go ahead and read the catechism again so you can stop me when you're like, yeah, and just stop me and say, oh, that part. Yeah. The sin forbids in the ninth commandment are all prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors as well as our own, especially in public judic- judicator, giving false evidence, suborning false witnesses, witting- wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause outfacing and overbearing the truth, passing unjust sentences, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the works of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause, and holding our peace when iniquity calls for a reproof from ourselves or a complaint to others. Okay, the part wasn't exactly what I thought, but I still... Yeah. I I, I I don't think that that was a sin. Yeah. I don't mean that. You know, just to add what he's saying, I think it's good sometimes when we exercise polemics to, like, strongly criticize other, you know, another opinion or a position. Yeah. A good example of a, of a heretical understanding of Rahab mm-hmm. is the doctrine of Takiyah. Okay. It's uh, Islam, mm-hmm. where they believe that lying in every instance is okay, civilian, anything, court, under oath, as long as it advances the cause of all. Yeah. So if you look at their commentaries in the Hadith on Rahab, it'll blow your mind because they automatically categorize it as a sin when the Bible does not. Yeah. The Bible says that she acted in faith, right? Right. So I think that it, it helped me formulate, well, I'm miscategorizing this because if it is a sin, then why does the Hebrews call it that? Yeah. Why does God call it an act of faith? We don't exercise sin and faith simultaneously. That's yeah, of course. Possible, right? So, in my mind, when we look at that doctrine to here, they come over here and they will literally take and cross-categorize or, you know, make category errors all over the place. Yeah. They'll say, well, I'm under oath after I just got through ramming someone who's Christian with my car. I just get up there and say it wasn't me. And that's the Kia. Their actual doctrine yeah. tells them 
that there is no such thing as lying if it's under the cause of Allah. So yeah. they, they don't make a distinction for Rahab. They say she was a civilian, she was lying. They don't even bring up the fact that there was lies there. Yeah. They just say that a good Muslim will do this in every single case to advance Allah's cause. Right. So I got to just point that out because I think when we categorize it as that, and we're kind of almost ignoring the fact that. Yes, she was a civilian, but the minute you go into a military situation where there's people involved in a military act, then you somehow become a part of that, yeah. and the engagement changes per se, whereas if it's just, I'm engaging my neighbor, and I'm trying to get over on them, and I'm hiding somewhere in my house who's trying to yeah. rob or murder them, right? then yes, that's a completely different context. So Yeah, of course. Because there's... there's Different. It's almost like they. Uh, I, I liken it to Matthew five and in Deuteronomy, where we hear eye for eye, hand for hand, two for two. For yeah. Foot, right. And then you see Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the, on the Mount, which is a civilian audience. Yeah. And you see the commentaries cross conflate and say, yeah, well, Jesus was correcting the Old Testament, right? You hear mm. the dispensational commentaries, but the Old Testament is talking about civil magistrates. Yeah. Not the Sermon on the Mount with civilian audience. So I think. Mm. When you don't look at the two and say, well, what is the ninth commandment? Well, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Yeah. Not so much, you know, there's no military yeah. aspect of the neighbor. It's a little bit, there's a distinction there. No, of course. Um, definitely well said. I mean, you know how you said uh, you can't, you know, be walking in faith, but then also, you know, using sin at the same time, you know, of course. Which is, you know, what I was saying when you look at those passages, it tells you specifically what was the act that was righteous, which was receiving the spies in peace and having them go out in peace. So, you know, the fact that she used a lie, a partial truth, and saying, well, that's okay, because like I said, what Rahab did was right. I said, well, that's your implication on it, because I'm just going by with what God specifically says the specific deed was that was actually... Yeah. Right. It, then that would be a lie too, because see, you don't owe them that information. Right. right. So when she's received the spies and sent them out another way, I'm saying I'm making the same argument you made earlier that it was none of their, it was not her. She was not bound to tell them that. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, that's why. I'm not yeah, no, of course. I, I was really just yeah. to piggyback and try to maybe try to see what uh, Brendan's saying. Though. I guess the difference there, though, right? Like he said, if someone asked about you and your your wife's, you know, how you guys. Doing in the bedroom, he he would blatantly say that's none of your business. Yeah, right. But she did not say it's none of your business in those parts. But I right. would argue that this is that her, the fact that she received them in peace. This is a war situation that she's on their side. Right. And just that, just as you're allowed to kill in war, you're like you you're allowed to legally kill. Like that is not blood on your hands. Right. Like I think I think. And withholding see, information falls under that same category that that the circumstances that you are in here in this case being specifically about this idea of war and dealing with adversaries you have it's different than just dealing with your neighbor mm-hmm. or a magistrate who legally does have authority over you I would say in a war you don't look at your opponent as having any authority over you no. other than what they can exert on you if they capture you but even then, that's not authority. That's just, that's their power over you. Right. So in that time, 
she is not she's not bound to those people because she's the bible says that she's received those people in peace and that she was declared righteous she she is no longer of them she is of mm -hmm. God's nor does the ninth commandment even apply because if it does in that situation then like i said then how does any kind of deceit apply right it's like when a magistrate is involved like your situation there's a similarity, but there's a distinction. Mm -hmm. It's purely civilian, right? Yeah. It's like, think of Ivan. When Ivan's turning off his lights and he's getting ready to go bust somebody, we wouldn't say, oh, Ivan, you need to stop deceiving these criminals, right? No. I mean, whenever there's a magistrate or a enemy combatant spy, there's always mm -hmm. a, a mixing where the context actually extracts the nine commandment. Yeah. So I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes from. Before I, I was gonna say, and I, oh. I, I actually kind of agree with these guys, but I, I just want to commend you. I like the way that you even took that situation, and then you took the the lot situation, right, where he's still to protect him, and he did protect him, but they he still did something wicked. Obviously, yeah. I wasn't pleased in him saying, "Hey, take my daughters." Right. Right. So I mean, I, I even just I just commend you on even the thought process, right? I mean, I, I kind of agree that she wasn't in sin, but you know, uh, yeah, I I just you know it, it's something to think about. Of course. Yeah, and I would close out by saying, like, you—it it is something you definitely would have to be very careful about yeah. doing because the more you think, oh, I can do this because of this, because of that, because of this, yeah. you open up to no. Now you are sinning. Yeah. No, of course. I mean, a lot of good, uh, good comments. Love it. Um, the I guess I'll start off um, with first just in responding the fact that when studying the ninth commandment, thou shall not be a false witness. As we all know, when we talk about don't murder, it's not just about taking a life. It's about taking the sanctity of all lives, even your own life. Or honor your father and mother. It's not just about children and parents. It's about all who are in authority. That these commandments, they don't just apply to a specific situation, but it's broad, covering a, the whole, I guess, umbrella of the aspect. So in not bearing false witness, um, the ninth commandment actually is what the commandment is used to promote truth and whatnot. Even in the life of Christ, he never, as I said earlier, he had many situations, whether it's by enemies, by friends, he had many situations where he could have lied, denied the actual truth, but instead what he did was actually what I would call concealing, which he had in his right and he was lawful and able to do. And there wasn't anything wrong with that. The other thing is that in reading the larger catechism, they would say on the positive end, what is required in the ninth commandment, they say, the duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart, sincerely, freely, and clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever. So in the larger catechism, when they talked about it, I mean, unless I'm misreading it, they which I would go with that understanding that they say, whatever your situation is, you have to promote truth at all times, even in times of, as I'm assuming, war and hostility and even with the enemies too. And that's where it goes back to lies of necessity. If we're supposed to, as children of God, to be able to emulate Christ on the earth and Christ himself never lied, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, are there circumstances that apply to us that are exceptions to that rule or is supposed to be applied to us too, which is why I made that comment that Jesus was the perfect emulation of how we are supposed to live in regards to 
being a true and faithful witness, whether he was in a court proceeding under oath or whether he was talking to civilians or people who are hostile to him. He still always told the truth, but at many times concealed the truth from his enemies and even from his own disciples. Yet all that stuff was, you know, lawful in that aspect. So those would be the comments I would say to those uh, responses. So cool. Anything else? All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Look forward to next time.